Are you ready for the most ridiculous internet sports show you have ever seen? Welcome to React, home of the most outrageous and hilarious videos the web has to offer. So join me, Rocky Theus, and my co-host, Raiders Pro Bowl defensive end, Max Crosby, as we invite your favorite athletes, celebrities, influencers, entertainers in for an episode of games, laughs, and of course, the funniest reactions to the wildest web clips out there. Catch Reacts on YouTube, and that is Reacts, R-E-A-X-X. Don't miss it. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Regressing to the mean since 2015, it's the Hockey PDO Cast with your host, Dmitry Filipovich. Welcome to the Hockey PDO Cast. My name is Dmitry Filipovich, and uh, joining me is a, is a PDO Cast favorite, Jeff Merrick. Jeff, what's going on, man? Favorite in my own mind. How are you tonight, Dimitri? Favorite in everyone's mind, including my own. And I'll tell you why. Because the, why the best part about Jeff Merrick podcasts is that I literally have to don't do. I don't have to do any planning. Um, I just like, I basically just click record and I just like give you a platform and I just get out of the way and let you tell me about it. some random player from the seventies that I've never heard of. And it's uh, it's always a blast. Uh, that random player from the seventies might be Tom Rowe, who's the new head coach of the uh, Florida Panthers, which we're watching right now as we record this. And that's what we call a segue in this business. You're a, you're a, you're a, you're a broadcasting professional. I think I think he was the first American thirty goal scorer in the NHL, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. Tom Rowe, I uh, believe. Well, I, that, he, whatever. What do I know? He's an analytics guy. He's not a hockey guy. You know what? You know, it, when did he become that? <laughs> He, was, like, he never this, was. This, I don't know. I don't the, get it. The whole the whole Tom Rowe phenomenon to me is is fascinating. It's very rare uh, that someone at his age gets this shot, or even you know gets the shot to be the associate general manager last year with the Florida Panthers, let alone the head coach of the team. Like it's I'm not saying it's a good thing. I'm not saying it's a bad thing. I'm not saying anything other than it is a thing. But there's a 60 year old behind the bench yep. for the Florida Panthers who's talking about being an analytics guy, or at least having a sympathetic ear. But then again. If you're going to be successful in the Florida Panthers organization, you best get on board because everybody's lined up. I mean, and and for how long, Dimitri, have we been talking about, you know, wouldn't it be great if one team just went for it, yeah. like completely lined up? Um, Colorado maybe should have been that team at various points, but not that I want this to be the be-all, end-all experiment for you know, this, this type of structuring of a team, but it's going to be fascinating. And I've got my issues with, with the team and those are are well-documented in my my questions, but I am genuinely fascinated and curious to see how they can do now that in a lot of ways, Dimitri, the excuses are done. Yeah. You get all at the end of this, they've got everyone in the position that they want. We I mean, think anyway. The one thing you can see coming from a mile away is that if t- this team struggles and it doesn't work out, it's going to be you know a massive indictment against analytics. And and one thing I would 
just blah, blah, I'd, blah. Like, I'd like to start a P, like a PSA, like everyone in the industry, just like you can get mad at the statistician, but don't get mad at the stats themselves. Like it's, it's all up to interpretation, right? So it's like, if, if something doesn't work out, if a move doesn't work out, it's because you've interpreted things the wrong way or sometimes things just happen, right? You can't plan all this stuff out to a T, but like it's, it, I think whether the, the Panthers do well or they, they do poorly, I don't think this really changes, uh, you know, the importance of, of using, uh, multiple different methods for roster construction and, and building your, your, your lineups. So uh, I think that's, we, we need to say that because I can already see it coming from a mile away. Oh yeah. Yeah. This one's an obvious one. I mean, we had the, the precursor to it with the PK Subban Shea Weber deal, right? Yeah. One was strict eyeballs, one was strict, strict analytics. And this was going to be the, the audit of that. Yeah. You know what I've been trying to do lately um, amongst my colleagues at Sportsnet Mm-hmm. is whenever they sort of roll their eyes and say analytics, I say, oh, do you mean facts? Because yeah. <laughs> that's all it is. It's just data, you know. A shot on net happened, and now we're going to put them all together and interpret what that means. But a shot on net is a fact. So when you think analytics, just replace the word analytics with the word fact and kind of see how silly you sound Yeah. when you say, oh, I'm not a facts guy. I I I I look at uh, I look at I look at the heart of a hockey player. Yeah. I ignore facts. See how far that gets you in your career. Well, I think also uh, I forget who said this. I saw it online. I apologize for taking credit for it without uh, giving them some love. But if we just like replace Corsi with just like pucks on net, if just like if you just like went on TV and you're just like, oh, this team had a you know like a plus twenty pucks on net tonight, like no one would no one would take issue with it. It's like <laughs> this is like the the most like old school hockey thing of all oh, time. Like, what do we need to do just, better tonight? Put the puck on net. It's like how is this an issue now? All of a sudden, it's just a scary new title. Ooh, like, the, the 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 hockey world has moved an inch to the left oh i'm gonna freak out oh what's going on the yeah. game is being hijacked by nerds <laughs> I th- <Got> directed <laughs> they're at actually the called computer, they're, they're called computer boys for i'll have you know i know yeah. yes although you know what that's one of those great things you can claim right yeah. like computer boys is now the sound that like come on the next analytics podcast that has to pop up has to be called computer boys oh, and sure. it all has to be hosted by women yes yeah <laughs> yes I, I i would uh I kind of want to get a t-shirt line going. I feel like that's a, a moneymaker. Yeah. Computer. Just like, um, just like Steve Dangle's bloggers be getting paid. Yes. T-shirts that he had when all the blogger dudes were getting swept up by NHL teams. Yeah. Uh, I wanted to talk to you about, uh, now that we're already on talking about the Panthers and, uh, everything that's going on there about the, uh, coverage of the, uh, the firing the other night, because I thought it was, I thought it was fascinating. And the thing that really struck me was, um, how a lot of people who you'd consider to be in the know, just based on, I'm sure, the connections they have in the game and the people they talk to, they were acting, yeah. you know, like this came out of left field. Like, you know, this guy was a, a Jack Adams finalist last year, and, and this is expected to be a good team, and they're firing him after 20 or so games. And I feel like, I mean, I know you definitely know about this, and if, if I know about it, I feel like some of the other people that are on TV and that are more plugged in definitely know about it. It's like, this was like the worst-kept secret in the league that totally. uh, there was just like a mismatch here. I don't even really think that the results of the 20 games matter like they could have been 15 and 5 and and this still probably would have happened just because of the clash of personalities and the clash of um ideas in terms of how this team was going to be utilized they could have morphed into the 1977 montreal canadians and there still would have been a firing because at the end of all of it they're going to have their people in place period 
Um, the way they did it with Dell Talent was essentially kick him upstairs and remove all power, but still keep him around as a figurehead to pretend like he has some decision-making sway because he's beloved by that public. Mm-hmm. And he accepted the low-ball offer they gave him, thinking that he would quit and not take it. But he did. Um, but the, the Gerard Gallant one, like, I first heard about it last year. And I think I talked about it with you here on this podcast. I've talked about it on MVSW, various other media outlets. Uh, it was a big story at the draft, as you can well imagine, um, on the floor that, mm-hmm. uh, that Tom Rowe is going to be the next uh, coach and, and Eric Joyce long term is going to be the general manager. Like, this is a plan that's been like it, it had nothing to do with, you know, collapsing after getting a two goal lead against Carolina on Sunday. Yeah. Nothing to do with that. Um, that was the opportune time for it to happen. Should they have, you know, bit the bullet in August and done it? Probably, I guess, in hindsight. I think what irked people a lot was how it's how it was done. I think everybody knew that it was going to be done. Um, I think in some situations where you know something is going to happen, but you don't go public with it, it's easier to act shocked by it yep. than admit that you are withholding information. Does that make sense? Yeah. So I think for a lot, I think for a lot of, I think for a lot of people, it, it's easier for them to say, "Wow, this is ridiculous!" You know, hundred and three point season gets a team into the playoffs, or you know, just two points out of a playoff spot, flirting with five hundred with all these injuries and Bukestad and Jokinen and Huberto. Look at the the miracle Gerard Gallant has pulled off. It's easier to feign surprise than to admit that you were sitting on a piece of information that you didn't put out there. And listen, man, when I would say this, I would get slammed by Panthers fans. Merrick, you don't know what you're talking about. You're not there. This isn't happening. You're like, when I put out the stuff about Dale Talon, like how essentially he's been stripped of all his power. No, you don't know what's going on. It is a lot easier for people just to say, I'm shocked. I didn't know this was coming. Instead of sticking your neck out there, taking the bullets and at the end of it saying, look, I was right. Yeah. yeah. And it happened. I think it's easier to just uh, blissful ignorance, just like let it, let it. Yeah. Well, okay. So but one of the, one of the interesting things too, as well, and this might be uh, a lesson for the Florida Panthers, should they go this direction or choose to heed it? I mean, a, a lot of teams have done well with this idea of, of feeding the beast. Mm-hmm. And right now, you know, for the past, you know, ever, ever since this happened, and specifically when the pictures came out of Gerard Gallant on the curb, um, getting a cab, uh, this team has been beaten up. Yep. Like the Florida Panthers have been taking bullets and getting just getting stomped every single way because they really haven't built up that goodwill or curried favor with anybody who – might be inclined, rightly or probably wrongly, you know, to look the other way on a story or be more sympathetic. Like, do you get the feeling that that at the end of this, one of the lessons that the Florida Panthers might want to take from this is, you know, more currying favor and less victory laps for doing nothing? Yeah. Yeah, I think that uh, optics obviously play a big role in it, and, and that's why... Uh, all these teams have like a bunch of people working in their like PR department and stuff to make sure that, that things look, things look well. So I think that's where they messed up. But like, I think that, I mean, you, you, you saw that, you know, everyone quickly jumping to the defense of Gerard Gallant and, and defending him and talking about how he's a great, great coach and a great guy. And I, I think that, you know, both things can be true in the sense that he can be a great guy that, you know, you appreciate and you, and you respect and you love talking to, but also understand that and acknowledge that this is a business and, 
you know, if, if he wasn't jiving with the, with the management team and the owners, and that's just how business works, right? Like if I kept, uh, pitching article ideas to my editor and he was like, no, I, I don't think, yeah. like we, I don't think we want that. We should do this. And I'm like, you know what? I'm going to keep doing it because I think this is the way you do it. And then they were just like, yeah, I don't think this is going to work. You're not really doing what you said you were going to when we hired you. Like, I would deserve to be fired. And, and we saw that it's, it's, it's optics are such an amazing thing here and what's being reported because he got all this credit last year. He finished in the finalists among the Jack Adams awards winners. And a lot of it was, you know, his tinkering with the lineup and I can, you know, I'm sure this has been reported and if it hasn't, I, I guess breaking news here, but like he really had nothing to do with the adjustments that were made on the fly in terms of um, mm-hmm. the lineup, because early on they were, clearly struggling playing Dave Boland way too much. They were playing Willie Mitchell with Eric Branson, which was arguably the worst defensive pairing in the league. And they were playing like 21 minutes a night because, you know, they're old school, gritty guys who are very reliable. And I'm sure they're really great and respected in the room. And Gallant was told that, you know, things couldn't keep going that way. And to keep his job, he made these adjustments and they started winning more games and he got a lot of credit for it. And, I'm assuming that's why he got that extension and that's why he was given a chance to start this year. And obviously when they went back to him and told him, Hey, maybe stop playing Derek McKenzie so much, stop doing this and that. And he pushed back and he gave all these interviews about how they needed toughness and grit. This is what happened. And I think that if you acknowledge that that's just how this business works and what happens when the people in charge tell you to do something and you don't do it and you work under them, that's, it's just how it works. The problem with the one thing complicating that is you still have a fan base to deal with and you have a fan base that looks at it and says, hang on, how come we're starching this guy? Like, look at the season we're having, considering all the injuries, regardless of his you know player selection mm-hmm. and whether that that, you know, that jibes uh, with with uh, with management. You know, otherwise, you know, would you be playing Yarmir Yager on the first line? Like if it was just a hockey decision, is Yarmir Yager on the first line with? Is does Alexander Barkov have to drag him up and down the ice eighty-two games only to watch him cough and sputter in the playoffs yeah. and be a complete, you know, complete, you know, you know, dead caribou that they're that he's lugging up and down the two hundred by eighty-five every night? You know, part of it is selling tickets. Part of this is showbiz, and part of this is. You know, this is a fan base that A, loves Dale Talon, and B, loves Gerard Gallant. Yeah. Like, look at the outrage. Like, that's that's the one thing where, where sports sort of differs from a lot of other businesses. Because I agree with you 100%. In normal sort of non-sports slash non-entertainment business, you don't have to worry about popularity contests mm-hmm. or doing things right by your fan base. Like, look at when Ron Wilson was fired. Like, Brian Burke was not going to fire Ron Wilson. He was his guy, period until everybody started chanting at the Air Canada Center. And it was overwhelming. And at that point, you say, I can't put this guy through this anymore. I can't put our organization through this anymore. The fans win at the end of that one. Like, in any other business, Dimitri, I'm with you 100%. And even in this one, too, they have, like, that ownership group has the right to do what they want with the people they have the nerve to pay. Yep. It's their money. It's their neck out. It's their risk. Like this is their investment. This is their baby. You know, and you want if, if this is this is a huge obviously a humongous investment, you want to have your people there. Right. So well, but Jeff, I, I, I mean, get all that, but at the at the same time too, there is a fan base issue to consider here as well. Right. But if they and, and, and you know what? And a and a player issue too. Yeah, that's right. Like like you, you need to have 
you need to create a scenario whereby it becomes prestigious to play on this team. What do you think 700 NHL players are saying today about the Florida Panthers? Yeah, probably not great things. But here's the here's the here's the thing though. The flip side is that if they start winning games, um, I don't think anyone in that fan base is going to be like, "Wow, this is awesome." But I really wish Gerard Gallant was still here to hang out and totally agree, coach, right? So it's like yep. it's it, it's it, it will it's going to like be shown to be a very cruel just business, just like everything else in the sense that like if things start working out and they start winning a lot of games, everyone will quickly forget about this and it'll be like it never happened, and they'll win yep. back all that favor with their fans. And I think that. Yeah. That's ultimately what they're banking on, right? And and even if it doesn't work out, at least it's pretty clear that this management group and ownership group has a plan in place. And there's yep. like five or six at least franchises out there that based on their moves over the past few years clearly don't have any sense of direction or plan in place. And that's the mm-hmm. worst, worst, worst spot you can be in as a franchise. So at least they have that going for them. You know, um, Don King used to always say, where there's money, there's understanding. And in sports, where there are wins, there are understanding and there is forgiveness. Winning cures all of this. <clears throat> and that's why this is fascinating now. This is game two, just watching on the uh, on Game Center here. Game two of the six-game road trip. And I thought the Panthers were outstanding in the first period. Like, yeah. they probably deserved to win that period. Richard Ponick sneaks behind the defense and pulls a nice move for a goal and like 20 games or something like that hasn't scored since mid-October and it's one nothing Blackhawks and that's where we sit right now but Panthers have been impressive this game but they had a hell of a first period but that's just it if you win all of this goes away all these all these questions all of it right now this is a tough sit for the Florida Panthers this is a tough sit for Viola for Sifu uh, for Joyce for Roe for Weary it's a tough sit for all those guys because right now because right now they are, it, it's a ship that's taken water. Yeah. And everybody, and listen, I, I, including myself, are, are, are hurling stones at them. Right? So this one's a tough one. And the only way out of it now that they have everybody in place is to win. Yeah. And, and that's it. And, and maybe this road trip turns out to be a blessing more than anything else. If you're going to bring in someone new, if you're going to bring in a new coach and he's going to make tweaks and it's out with Gerard Gallant, whom the players love, the best place to probably do it is during a long road trip. So at the end of the night, it's not 23 guys in 23 cabs going 23 different places. Mm-hmm. It's everybody all together. So maybe as you look back at this thing, this may have been the smartest time to do all this. If you're going to, if you're going to rip the scab, finally. Then yeah. maybe this was the right maybe this was the right place to do it. Yeah, I think that's fair. I think that um, just one other like one other angle on this story that I, I feel like we should at least address is um, like what are your thoughts when you hear uh, old school quote unquote hockey people who have been around the game for a long time um, kind of bash a move like this because it's being done by people who aren't hockey people themselves because I'm I, like, I struggle with that in this, like, because I think I would technically not be a hockey person because I never played in the NHL and I've never worked in a, in a front office in like a GM capacity or something like that. So I'm all of a sudden not qualified to make decisions like this. Like I, I think yeah. that, that that's something that whenever something like this happens and the whole analytics debate resurfaces to the top, I think like yeah. this is the thing that happens that just drives me nuts and I wish we would stop doing it and I wish I would stop, you know, taking the bait and reacting to it, but I just, it's human nature. <laughs> it, just, it just, it just gets me every time. 
Uh, it used to get to me a lot too, because I'm like you, I'm not a hockey person. I never played in the NHL. My, my big league aspirations died in my OHL draft year when I didn't get picked. And I said, well, that's it for me. And then, uh, just played casual hockey after that. Um, I mean, I don't like it. I don't pull the authenticity card very often. I, I do think that there are some things you can only really know or come close to knowing by having that experience. Having said that, I don't need to jump in front of a subway to know that if I do, it's not going to tickle. Um, I think there's a lot of room for quote-unquote non-hockey people as much as there is for dyed-in-the-wool, baked-in-the-pie hockey guys and gals to be involved in an organization. Uh, but to just completely dismiss a move made by people that didn't drop out of high school at grade 11 to shoot frozen cow patties off the side of the barn and moose jaw, um, to me is, to me rings a little bit hollow. And really when you consider the amount, when you consider the size of the investments that people make, uh, in these organizations, I want as many voices as possible. And I don't just want the same thing every single time. And I don't want, I mean, I want a combination of hockey lifers, and I also want new thinking. And if that means, you know, the guy that grew up knowing not knowing uh, nothing about hockey other than playing video games and doesn't know how to tie a skate to get on the ice, then that's fine because there might be some wisdom there. Like, I go into every single conversation like this. And if I ever talk to you about this, Dimitri, how I, how I approach every conversation with anyone that I meet. Nope. I have one very specific question in mind. Like the first time that I met you, I had one very specific question in mind. Mm -hmm. This guy knows some things that I don't know. How can I find out what they are? Because to assume that you know everything is foolhardy, and that gets you in more trouble. Uh, that turns you into an idiot, ultimately. It just turns you into someone that just says, swallowed up by his navel. And I think it's a healthy way to live. I think it's a healthy way to live, and I think it, it, uh, it forces you to have respect, like initial respect for everybody that you meet if you assume that no matter who they are and what their background is, if you can respect the fact that they know at least one thing that you don't, then I think you're going to be up on the game. Yeah. And I think you're always going to learn. I think ultimately you'll be better at whatever you do. Dude, I've learned so much from ho about hockey from people that never played in the NHL, and I'm sure you have as well. Yep. And I and I'm and and I'm positive, although they will never admit it, the diehard lifers feel the same way. But it makes them feel soft if they admit that they learned something from someone who didn't play in the NHL. Yeah. But don't you feel the worm is turning on it anyway? It is a bit, but I mean, then it's something like this. I always think it is, and then something like this happens, and then all the name calling starts again, and I'm just like, oh. but that's okay. But don't you think it's a kind of? A, yeah, I was talking about this on our podcast, on the MBSW podcast today. What's that? All, all new. What's that? Yes. I know that show they do on Freeway. Now Greg's in Hawaii for two weeks. Um, I think all ideas need to go through a gauntlet. Yep, I really do. And you know, part of those patty wax is going to be some really intelligent challenges. There's going to be some doofuses. There's some stupid stuff said. There's going to be a lot of slander. There's going to be a lot of name calling. There's going to be a lot of pettiness. But there's also going to be some legitimate questioning that all great ideas need to go through. So I don't mind it. Like I, I like the idea that these types of moves don't automatically get a free pass because at the end of it, it makes the proof, it makes the gravity of the proof that much deeper, if you know what I mean. Yeah. Like, it, it has to really go through that to show everyone, like, look, we went, it's like, you know, it's like peer review. It's not unlike presenting a PhD thesis. 
You stand up in front of people with way taller foreheads than you and defend your thesis for hours. Right. I think that's a healthy thing. And as infuriating and annoying as it may be to put up with some people online, you know, who want to talk about the Corsi Hockey League, no shot at Steve there, the Corsi Hockey League or want to, you know, fire up, you know, stupid missives on Twitter about, you know, hockey's played with heart and grit. And, like, listen, man, the beginning of this Chicago uh, 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 Florida game that I'm watching right now, uh, Pat Foley, you know, was laying down that usual rap of, you know, they want the hockey's played with bite and grit and uh, heart and uh, analytics doesn't measure that. And Eddie Olchek kind of half-heartedly tried to correct them and give the other side of it and just kind of in the towel and say, ah, I'm not going to disagree with the Hall of Famer. Let's just move on from the conversation. Right. But it happens. We can't be surprised by it. And I would ultimately, as your friend and colleague, I'd tell you to be like the Tai Chi guys in the park and just kind of let it go. Yeah. Just realize that, you know, ideas only become great after they're tested. And yeah. this is one. And this, man, dude, I am happy to be totally off on the Florida Panthers. Right? I love being wrong. It, there's no growth unless you're wrong. So I hope the Florida Panthers turn it around here. It's uh, 5.15 left in the second period. I hope they turn it around and win 5-1 to one tonight against the Chicago Blackhawks and reel off five wins in a row on this road trip. And this is a whole new way to, to rethink hockey because I love rethinking hockey every few years. Otherwise, it's stagnant and boring. Yeah. Yeah. That was a really long, was a really long answer. I can't remember what the question was, but oh, that was a great, uh, that's, great, that's great life lesson. That's right now. That was a great life lesson. Um, let's chat about uh, let's chat about being on TV because I'm sure that um, oh, okay, I take over now. I take over now. Hold on. Okay, pause, 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 yes. pause, pause. One of my favorite things in this world, uh, and it happened with Greg, and now it's happened with you. I love when my cool online friends get dragged into the mainstream, and wear things like suits and ties and get dragged into my little disgusting, dark mainstream world of, of pettiness and sound bites. I loved watching you on the Canucks. I, I love the fact that I was on the same show as you. I was really proud when I saw your smiling face there yeah. on my TV, on the show that I was part of as well. What was your experience on the Vancouver Canucks broadcast with, Dan Murphy, who, by the way, always goes out of his way to bring out, you know, sort of non-traditional voices and give them a place on the broadcast. Murph, I know he's been on the podcast before. Murph, to me, is class act, you know, gold standard, tremendous broadcaster, open mind guy, awesome dude. What was your experience like? Yeah. Mainstream media, Dimitri. Yeah, Murph is a Murph is a pro's pro. I can't can't say enough great things about him. But and uh, before I get into that, just like a quick disclaimer. Um, I know a lot of people, I fully recognize that a lot of people out there do legitimately difficult, important work. Like there's people right now who just got back from a difficult nine to five and just want to relax. And I'm sure that, you know, they're listening to this and they're like, this guy's going to be complaining about being on TV. Like what? It's <laughs> <laughs> like, what's wrong with this guy? Like, I'd love to do his job. So I completely like, listen, what we do is really a hobby and we're fortunate to be paid for it and to call it work. So with all that out of the way, it was the most difficult thing I've ever had to do. And why is that? I just think, I think it was one of those things where I think the environment had a lot to do with it. I think if it was like in a regular studio, it would have been a bit easier, but we were doing yeah. it from uh, like live from the Canucks game and uh, we were doing it like in the crowd basically. So there were yep. people sitting like five feet behind me who were just like, obviously, you know, just drunk at the game, just like yelling stuff, which uh, the, the camera, with which the mics don't pick up, but you can 
pretty clearly hear it yourself being there. And, you know, my earpiece falls out halfway through, like, <laughs> like, like the producers yelling at me. I see people waving in the background, like telling me how much time I have left. The cameras are blaring in my eyes. Like there's loud top forties music playing through the sound system. Like it was just like one of those things where I didn't have like a script necessarily, but I had like a few points that I wanted to hit and I was yep. like going through them in my head. I'm like, okay, I got this. Like I'm, I know I'm very prepared for this and like yeah. it starts and literally Murph starts talking and I just like blanked Whoop. and just couldn't even hear what he was saying. I just saw his lips moving and I feel yeah. like time froze for a bit. And the fact that I got any words out and managed to maintain a smile is like, I'm happy with my performance just because of that, because other, like I, it could have gone a lot worse. It's amazing. Uh, first of all, you know who loves in the crowd? Who? Executives. You know who hates in the crowd? Front-facing talents. Hmm. Yeah. <laughs> like, honestly, it's like, oh, yeah, we'll put them amongst the people. You're real blending in of the broadcast. Like, it, I did it every day in the World Cup, me and Colby Armstrong and Ryan Whitney um, for Facebook Live. And it was fun. It was cool. Like, a bunch of... You know, people, players would come over all the time and, and hang out with us. You know, Eric Lindros dropped by. Sidney Crosby's dad came by. A bunch of NHLers just were there and would, would hang out and we'd shoot the shit. And it was cool. But then when the games would let out and everyone's gassed, uh, it's a nightmare. Like it's, it's a nightmare to try to do TV amongst a bunch of rowdy hockey fans. I've never understood the appeal of it. I've done it a lot, and I know exactly what you're talking about and uh, and, and how you're feeling. See, I, I find TV to be incredibly hard. Yeah. Um, and that's because I come from a radio background. And now my, the favorite thing that I love more than anything else is doing podcasts. Um, there's a real luxury to being able to speak as long as you want uh, and ramble if you know, need be if you just want to sort of tap dance to try to get to your point. I remember doing Hockey Night in Canada radio on Sirius when I first started at CBC, and it was three hours a day, and it was minimal. It was no commercial break. There'd be like a stop set for, you know, promos for this weekend on Hockey Night. But other than that, it was me, the microphone, my brain, and whatever guests uh, would come on the program. And to me, this was, for a lot of people, horror. Like, oh, my God, how do you talk three hours a day? That's the easiest thing in the world to do. Like, like honestly, Dimitri, like you're a talker. Like it's it's not that difficult. Yes. It's 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 not that challenging. After a while, the hardest thing to do for me is when you have a whole bunch of points that you want to hit in a salient and quasi entertaining way, and you've got 45 seconds to do it. Yeah, I mean, let's look right now. We've made we've been recording for 30 minutes, and <clears throat> I feel like we've made three different points. And That's about if, it. If it was on TV, we'd have three minutes to make 30 different points. So it's, yep. uh, it's, no, it, it's, it's really tough just to like sort of narrow it down. I completely understand now. Like you, you're sitting at home sometimes watching it and you're just like, why didn't this person like go this way and this way? And they could have said all this other great stuff and informed the crowd. And then you, once you're yeah. in it, it's, it's, it's really tough to, um, get it, get all your points across in a timely manner. So, um, I will, TV is uh, a TV people from now on. <laughs> no, no, don't, don't. Like, trust me, we we deserve what we get. Trust me, I know I've been in it long enough. We deserve everything we get. Um, no, just I, the, the only point that I ever want to make on is that there's a luxury in doing radio, and there's even greater luxury in doing podcasts, which is why I love them, and this, which is why I, I still think we're in the, my friend Bob and I always talk about this, we're in the golden age of audio that no one's talking about. Like, this really is the golden age of audio once again. You know, once upon a time it was, 
you know, uh, music on the radio. Then it was a talk radio revolution. But now with podcasts, this is a revolution again in spoken word, in audio, in talking, in, you know, the currency of ideas. It's tough to get that on television because, you know, your segments are, if you're lucky, five minutes long, generally about three to three and a half. You just sort of hold attention long enough to get to the stop set to sell some soap. And then you're back to the game. It's really hard. Like, and and to make that to make that environment seem relaxed is the real art of it, uh, and the real craft of it. I mean, Ron McLean does such a wonderful job of making broadcasts feel casual, relaxed, but still curious and informative. Like that, to me, is the real art of of, of television is making it feel comfortable knowing that inside, to your point, you've got a producer counting you down from 30. <laughs> you know, you've got people screaming around you. You've got cameras moving all around. That's another thing. I'm not sure if they, they ask you to do is try to find your camera, try to find your one shot. Yep. Whether you're going to open up on it too, you're going to go to your one shot, you're going to pan back out and try to find all your cameras while you're making these points um, and try to make it feel as relaxed and natural as if you're just having a conversation at the coffee shop. That's the art of TV. It's not so much it's not so much what you say, uh, as much as the vibe that you create. Yeah. That's kind of and that's that's what I still struggle with is trying to find a way to make it feel comfortable and conversational, as opposed to you know just frantic and immediate, which is what it feels like in your head, in your ears, and certainly in the control. Like I think by now we've all seen uh, we've all seen viz of what a TV control room looks like when a show is on live. Yep. Um, <laughs> between the yelling and the screaming and the swearing and the, like, it's, it's intense. I, I love it. I, I love being in control rooms just because at the end of the night, after everybody's called everything in the book, like things you wouldn't say to your worst enemy, there's just this unspoken understanding that it's all just for the show. And when it's done, you leave it in the control room and you walk away. Yeah, really um, love that. Absolutely. I mean, the only thing that really gave me any peace and calmed me down was that it was a uh, a weekday Coyotes Canucks game. So I figured no one was watching. So it, it made me uh, feel a little bit better about myself. But uh, otherwise, like if it was on like Hockey Night in Canada or something, it would have been an absolute uh, nightmare. So um, it's. Uh, I mean, you know what? I had that. I had that experience. I had. I had your Dan Murphy experience. It was uh, December twenty ninth, two thousand and seven. It was my first day doing ringside on Hockey Night. Did I ever tell you that story on, on the podcast? No, you haven't. It's great. So I'm doing – it's in Ottawa. It's an Ottawa-Washington game. Ovechkin went off for four goals, 7-4 to four final, I think, for the Caps. And Boudreaux had just taken over as head coach of Washington. So a lot of great stories. Mike Green was heating up. There was a lot of great stories about Washington that year at that time. And it was my first ringside assignment for Hockey Night. So I'm nervous as hell, right? You try to play it off like you're all cool. Oh, yeah, I'm just going to the morning skate with Bob Cole. Bob Cole? I'm driving in a car with Bob Cole to go to morning skate. What the, my life? Holy smokes. And it's 630, and the show opens up the way it traditionally does. And Ron welcomes everybody in, and there's double boxes. And I'm on one at uh, uh, in Ottawa, and Elliot's uh, at the Air Canada Center in Toronto. So we're going to get to Elliot Friedman right now, the Maple Leafs game. They're playing, whoever it was, Philadelphia. In the meantime, uh, I want to welcome in Jeff Merrick from Hockey Night in Canada Radio, handled the ringside affairs tonight in Ottawa for the big Ovechkin matchup against Jason Spezza and the Ottawa Senators. Jeff throws to me, and what felt like Dimitri an eternity, and I went and watched it back, was about maybe half a second. I had that 
holy shit, I'm on hockey night in Canada moment. Like all of that, you know, watching hockey night my entire life, sitting there with my family, you know, dreaming about either playing on hockey night in Canada as a player or just being on the show. Like everything, so much of my youth was wrapped up in that program. And then to be on it and to be thrown to by Ron for that half second, stunned, silence, nothing in my brain. Yeah. And turns her ringside a bench interview with Alexander Ovechkin. It was like one of those like silence. Thanks, Ron. Alex. And off to the races. No idea what I said. Stammered out a couple of questions and threw it back to studio. But I, I remember that was the half, the half second that felt like an eternity in my life. So yeah. I know exactly I know exactly what you're talking about. Yeah, good times, good times. Uh, hopefully, yeah, good times. Good times. Ho- hopefully there'll be more good times. Um, let's uh, let's discuss the Blue Jackets a little bit, which is a, a sentence that I feel like's never really been said before by anyone, at least oh. publicly. But um, it, you know, they're playing they're playing really good, and and they're they're just destroying teams. I feel like they have the most just like victories this season, where you open up. Uh, the, you know, you just open up like NHL.com or whatever, and you're just like, wait, they won by how much against who? Huh? Like, which is like, you know, they obviously had that game against the Canadians, and I, they they scored eight on the Blues, and today they just absolutely beat up the Lightning, and it's just like I don't know. At, at some point, uh, it it would have been a lot easier if they continued being bad, and we could just keep making the same John Tortorella jokes and everything. But now it, we got to kind of acknowledge it. You know, they're probably not as good as they've been playing early on based on their results, but they're definitely not going to be sort of a, a seller-dwelling laughingstock, and I think that's a, a huge step in the right direction for this franchise. And it's not even, even as if, you know, they're getting out, well, not tonight anyhow, they're not getting uh, out-chanced. I mean, shots on goal were 38-27 Blue Jackets. Yep. Um, you know, 16 shots in the first period, 11 in the second period, 11 in the third. Um, early on, it was all the power play. Right, it was that power play that was ringing at thirty-two percent. Dimitri, was it? That was spectacular to watch. Right, it was a lot of fun, and it's Cam Atkinson and Sam Gagne and Nick Foligno and um, and your boy uh, Zach Wierenski. And Zach Wierenski on the point, yeah, man, toe tracking it like Lidstrom along the uh, along the blue line. Um, but five on five, they were getting destroyed. And what do we all say? Ah, yeah, you know what? The power play comes back down to normal. And it still just might. It might just level off. And five on five, they may go back to being a brutal hockey team. But they're not that team right now. You know, as long as you have the goalie, you're never really out of it. The interesting thing about about CBJ to me is, you know, they're getting the contributions from so many different players. Right? And tonight it was Josh Anderson. What do you have? Uh, Maybe get a pair tonight? Yep. Or a three-point night or something like that. Sergey Bobrovsky was real good. Um, you know, William Carlson was, was playing real well. Sam Gagne seems to have uh, found a new life in Columbus, certainly on the power play. Um, he has. So like, I, I, I'm of the mind that one day Columbus is going to be a really good team, mainly because of that young blue line. Like it, it's going to be like Seth Jones and Wierenski and Murray. Like it, it's going to be real good. It's going to be a special blue line and they'll take it from there. I just don't know whether, I'm looking at this Columbus team right now, whether I should believe in this or just sort of pan it out and say, now nah, this is fool's gold. I haven't made up my mind yet. I'm not, I'm not there yet. Are you? Yeah, it's a little bit of both, right? Like I think it's, it's fair for us to just recalibrate our expectations of them from what they were before the season. But I mean, like they're sort of like a, 
a middle of the pack team in pretty much everything and they've been slightly overperforming just based on how many pucks have been going in and how many pucks their goalies have been stopping so i think that once that normalizes a little bit even if they maintain a really really good power play i think it you know they'll come back down to earth a little bit but listen like it's this is a strategy that has been shown to be very successful in today's nhl where if you can just play like three or four lines that can all play and contribute and you don't have too many holes in your lineup you can make up for the lack of that super high-end talent and like at the top of your lineup and i mean we're like you mentioned josh anderson that that line with him carlson and scott hartnell has been producing a lot for them and that's like their third line and then brennan sod is who's been a favorite of mine for years is is absolutely killing it this season and cam atkinson as well and you go on down the line and and the young blue line they have and bobrovsky's finally healthy so it's like everything's adding up to being a very competent team that's tough to play against um i'd caution a little bit just about getting carried away by some of these results because it's very easy to see these kind of blowout wins and just think that they're really really good and that might not necessarily be the case, but I think uh, I'm, I'm more so buying than I am selling. Yeah, it's um, it, it's fascinating because it seemed, and there's nothing wrong with this if you have this type of power play, but it's it's like playing with fire. You know, there's a lot of teams that want to play, you know, fifty fifty hockey, five on five, and then take take their chances with the power play. Yeah. Right? And I just I just wonder if that's sort of just going to be the story of the Columbus Blue Jackets this year. To your point, uh, I hope it's not because. I don't know about you, but I always look for the new rivalry in the NHL. Like, I'm dying for Minnesota-Winnipeg to be a legit rivalry because when's the last time we had a good cross-border one? And we may get one out of Buffalo-Toronto in a few years. But what we saw in that one playoff series between Columbus and Pittsburgh was awesome. And I want to see that again, and I want to see it every single year. I want to see that type of skill and that type of uber-violence all at the exact same time. So uh, if it means that we're going to get that matchup in the playoffs every year, then I will jump onto your ship with two feet off a three-meter springboard uh, if that means we can get that. But uh, they're fun. Listen, man, they're flat-out fun. Uh, I, I, the one guy that I'm, I'm really happy to see uh, pop this season because you know, a lot of questions about where he was selected and would he ever actualize, even though he's only 22 years old, and that's Alexander Venberg. Mm-hmm. Glad to see that guy do really well. And still, when I'm one of the one of the best play. Listen, man, one of the best plays I've seen all season long was that game against Anaheim, and it was a foot race down the left side, and Venberg skated Corey Perry into dust, pulled up, feathered a beauty back to Orensky, uh, who iced it for a Columbus Blue Jackets win in three on three in the overtime. Uh, that still may be my favorite play of the entire season so far. So uh, they're fun. They got nice pieces. I don't know if they're a good team, but some of the pieces are a lot of fun to watch. Uh, the weird thing with them like i don't know it's kind of bittersweet is like they have all these young players who you could conceivably make the argument will get better over time and it'll be fun to see them grow and play together but then they also probably have like the worst cap situation in the league right like they have all these guys that are getting paid way too much money for way too long and they're like either entering the thirties or they're already there. And I'm just like, it's, it's, it's going to hold them back a little bit. They're going to need to find a way to finagle around that and possibly trade away some of those guys and get someone to eat that salary. Like, because they have all these exciting guys. I mean, listen, when you're not good for a lot of years and you're, you're constantly picking high in the draft, you're going to have, you're going to accumulate a lot of young talent and we're seeing them reap the rewards of some of that. But it's like, What's Nick Foligno going to look like in two or three years when he's still making five and a half million? And the same goes for like Brandon Dubinsky and you go on down the line. So it's, it's, it's going to be interesting to see 
how the things play out for them because generally with a team this young you'd be like you'd be preaching patience and going like well anything they do this year is good because it's a step in the right direction and maybe a couple mm-hmm. years from now will finally come together but they might not necessarily have that sort of a luxury so that that's something i'd say I was going to put on my Dmitry Filipovich decoder ring there for a second and say, what my colleague Dmitry was talking about was Exhibit A, Brandon Dubinsky, Exhibit B, Nick Felino, and Exhibit C, Scott Hartnell. I believe you're referring to the, those those contracts yep. specifically. Um, well, I mean, Hartnell, listen, man, Hartnell was almost a Nashville predator last year. That yep. uh, Johansson-Jones trade was almost a four-player deal with Wilson going the other way and Hartnell going to Nashville. Still may happen, right? Lavulette thought they needed some uh, uh, some more toughness up front. He's got the association going back to the Philadelphia Flyers. I think it started as a four-player deal, uh, turned into a two-player deal. So it isn't as if Columbus hasn't tried to address that situation uh, in the past. I think the other two are, are a little more complicated because I'm not sure where the marketplace is uh, for Dubinsky in a couple of years. And he's got... Four more years at 5.8. Yeah, that's rough. Let me just pause for a second after I say that, just to scare some people. Four more years at 5.8 million dollars. Nick Foligno, you mentioned five and a half a copy uh, going through 2021. The fact that they're just like eating a ton of David Carl Clarkson salary, which obviously on LTIRs isn't counting the cap, but it's like for a franchise that I'm sure doesn't want to be spending right up to the cap. That that's money that they are basically burning at this point so another year jack johnson at 4.3 yeah what a, what a time to be alive that's a tough time. one yeah right that that's a tough one and you know as long as he stays healthy he's great but 7.4 for sergey bobrovsky right i mean bobrovsky cost you know cost todd his gig last last year right those opening seven games where he couldn't stop anything yeah. well and it's it's one of those things where you know right now it doesn't necessarily matter, but I mean, you know, Wenberg, you mentioned he's coming up for an URFA deal this summer. He's going to get a substantial increase from the, not what, 900,000 900, he's making, like Cam Atkinson yeah. the year after Boone Jenner. And, and, you know, some of these guys might be trade assets. They could potentially trade for more picks and young guys to kind of keep replenishing that pipeline. But it's just something to kind of keep in mind on the horizon, I think. Yeah, that's a tough one. Um, that's 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 a killer. I mean, you can just hope for an early lockouts for us and get some compliance buyouts, I suppose, Dimitri. There's well, always that. I don't think you're going to have to hope too much in that, in that regard. I feel like that's uh, that's going to happen. Um, let's. Uh, is there anything else that because Columbus has been one of the big surprises this season? Because uh, obviously, you and I did the the preseason watchability rankings, and some of it has wound up being correct. Some of it has been probably hasn't dated as as sounds pretty dated at this point hasn't really held up over time like is there any other teams that have really kind of surprised you either positively or negatively so far i still don't know who pittsburgh is i still don't know who the penguins are uh there's a lot of like see penguins kind of penguins are kind of a freak because at times i've watched and i think we all have the penguins play a really soft game right Mm -hmm. and it happens we see it with stanley cup champions it's hard the next year uh to get up for every single game like teams expect you to but the outlier there is i haven't seen Sidney crosby really play a bad game yet have you no like he is in he is all over it every single game that he's played had the uh concussion issue to start the season um so that's i I still don't know who the pittsburgh penguins are I, i think i have a pretty good sense of uh who the new york rangers are uh, although lately, I and mean, when I thought they were ready for their their big dive, um, they sort of postponed the inevitable. Um, 
I'm trying to think. I mean, New Jersey's New Jersey's a surprise to me. Yeah, let's 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 talk about New Jersey um, a bit. I've gotten a little bit of a pushback on that from obviously Devils fans. I don't think anyone else would have pushed back against it, but they were pretty clearly. I think we both had them like 29th or whatever in our preseason. Oh rankings. yeah, and someone's has to be 29th if you're ranking 30 teams. Like it's not. It's, it's easy to be like, oh, they should be a bit higher, but then it's like, well, who would you put behind them? But they've been actually pretty entertaining, and I think that. You know, if you ask John Hines, he probably isn't too happy about that because a lot of it's come at, at their expense in terms of just they've been playing some sloppy games that have kind of been all over the place and not very uh, New Jersey Devils-esque. But yeah. they, uh, they have some interesting players. And, like, I know that listeners of the show love when we give them something to uh, look for next time they watch a team. And I think that uh, Johan Avitu uh, on the blue line has been – sneakily one of my favorite players to watch this year and and that's someone whose name i had never heard of like a month ago so uh that's been a very pleasant surprise for me finnish league defenseman of the year and this is his first trip overseas to america he's playing for the new jersey temples and here's the great thing about ovitsu to me normally when you see someone you know has a great world championship great in the finnish league and, and comes over and they sort of roll the dice on him um legit frenchman too right he's from france um normally they come in and they're almost just sort of happy to be there you know just along for the ride you know wow look at me mom i'm playing in the nhl a dream has been realized like early on this season and you know even though he just most recently got scratched um he's making plays like when i watch Obitu, like he doesn't look like this is his first time in america this doesn't look like this is his first season in the NHL. Like he's out there making plays, Dimitri. He's not just, you know, safe around the boards, keeping safe positions, keep the buck in front, like really safe hockey. He's kind of sticking his neck out there and making plays. And more times than not, those plays are getting made. Like that's that's the that's the one. The, the, like there's, I mean, I love this year watching Victor Arvidsson in Nashville. And the other guy that I really love watching whenever I'm watching New Jersey games is Johan Obitu. Mm-hmm. And if fans have not had the chance to see him play, do yourself a favor. Don't just watch your New Jersey Devils for Corey Schneider. Don't just watch your New Jersey Devils for your Camilleries and your Zajax and your Taylor Halls. Um, have a look at Obitu. Because I don't know that he's got the headlines, the publicity outside of the local market that he probably should for just having the balls to make plays on defense in the NHL after having never, A, played in the NHL a day, and B, been to America. You know what? And I think that you can sort of tell that that's the case with him. And I say that in the best way because just watching him play, what stands out is that he just plays this sort of like unburdened style where it's so different from a lot of the defensemen that come up through the system here in North America where they're told they need to play a certain way and get the puck out and be conservative and reliable. Like you can just see sometimes he just gets the puck and instead of just making the safe conservative play, he's just like, you know what? I'm just going to take this one to the end of the ice and see what happens. And there's very few defensemen that even sort of process the game in that regard. So that's what I really enjoyed about him. I remember the first time I saw Sammy Vatten and I kind of felt that way as well. Yeah. Yeah. Like here's a guy coming in again, same league, but you know, different country. Here's a guy coming in who really doesn't look like anybody else and kind of doesn't play like anybody else. And I don't know if he's going to be a full-time NHLer, but damn it. He just looks different out there. Yeah. That's good. And then Vatten and then Vatten and pot. Was it two years ago? Really, really started to, to notice Vatten. Yep. Yep. Sounds about right. Um, one thing that you were, on um that i was wrong about was the dallas stars 
Um, obviously, you still had him fairly high on your list, but I remember like I, I was making the case for them like, a one or two, and you were a bit down on them. And uh, injuries have played a large role in that, and that's something you can't really account for, and that's just a bummer. But um, it's been it's been a bit of a mess, and I think that the big elephant in the room here is that John Klingberg has really, really been just bad this season and uh it's easy to make the case that you know he misses alice goligoski all the injuries up front haven't helped him because he he plays so well off of those guys and and in terms of creativity and pushing the pace so that's kind of uh been something that he struggled with but like just everything from just watching him and how many mistakes he's making to just the numbers themselves they it's uh it hasn't it hasn't been very good for him so far Scratch tonight against the Detroit Red Wings. Uh, previous to that, Dan Hamhuis, uh, their prize acquisition in the summer, scratched two games in a row. Yep. Uh, I, I still think that that blue line is reeling from, you know, you, you mentioned Goligoski. Losing Goligoski and losing Jason Demers. Mm-hmm. It's tough to come back from. Like, I know there's a lot of young defense in the NLA. I love Stephen Johns. Maybe the hit of the year, the one they laid on Michael Furlan two weeks ago in that Calgary game. I really like Stephen Johns. They love Julius Honka, Essel Lindell. Like, they love mm-hmm. these guys, but they're still young hockey players, right? And specifically on the back end. And it doesn't help when someone like John Klingberg, and even by his own admission, you know, outside of you know missing the team meeting, oh, brain fart, missed it, okay, my bad. Like, even by his own admission, he hasn't played well this year. So that's a bad combination. Goligoski gone, that's things. Demers gone, that's things. Replaced with a guy who's been scratched two games in a row a couple of times this season, and your number one defenseman hasn't found his game yet this year. Yeah. And when, you pl- when, you, when you play a wide-open style like Dallas does, that's death, man. Yes. Yeah, no, it's, uh, they've been exposed a little bit this year. I still think that you know if they get all these guys back together eventually and, and the, the blue line – uh, rounds into form as they get more games under their belt they they obviously you know they can score goals with the best of them so i don't think any team would necessarily want to play them in the playoffs but i think that uh we need to maybe readjust our expectations a little bit flurry and mata to dallas for lettinen and whom oh man yeah that's uh just doing sports talk radio here for you just doing sports talk radio. We're going to the phones. Give us your biggest fantasy trade. Hello, Dimitri in Vancouver. You have a blockbuster Pittsburgh Dallas trade to propose. Go ahead, Dimitri. <laughs> I want to see them somehow not involve Letton in that trade, just so they're paying three high price goalies somehow. Like, I just get them all. Just get them all. Who cares? Trade for Ben Bishop too. Let's Jimmy uh, Howard when he gets better. Why not? Let's get all I these guys you. in Dallas. All of them. All of them. All of them. Yes. Um, all right, Jeff. Uh, I think we should. Uh, we should cut it off here we're almost heading towards an hour i know that uh people love all my shows are around like 30 35 minutes and then you come on and it's like just an extra 20 minutes you just add it as like the baseline for how long the show is going to go and i I love it i mean it's it's awesome being able to just kind of freely talk like this for as as long as possible i wish there were such a thing called podcast analytics Mm -hmm. so someone could figure out how many empty calorie words i used on your podcast just to stretch out time because I'm, I'm sure I would be like the Patrice Bergeron of empty calorie words on your podcast. No, you're great. There was no empty calories. This is everything was necessary. Oh yeah, all juicy, all nutritious. Just a shot of B12, right? Audio B12, right into you, Dimitri. I love that. Uh, hey, let me let me let me yeah. ask you something. What's yeah. what's impressed you the most about this year, about this season, from your perch? Like, is there one thing? I mean, I, I threw Victor Arvidsson out there a couple of seconds ago. That really is one player that I just love watching. Yeah. Like, I can't get enough of watching Arvidsson to the point where, um, 
my uh, my six year old son is a big fan of PK Subban. So last year to go to a Montreal game, took him to the Nashville Toronto game a couple of weeks ago, and. The first guy that even my six-year-old noticed was, I remember he said to me, who's 38? I'm like, oh, it's Victor Arvidsson. He's like, he's really good, right? And I'm like, oh, yeah, I know he's real that. He couldn't take his, he goes, wow, did you see what 38 just did? What's his name again? Mm-hmm. So like, even my six-year-old is noticing that this guy is a real, if, either he's really special or, you know, my six-year-old is an amazing scout. Wow. And he's already got a scout's eyes. But like, is there someone or something that's caught your eyes so far this year? I think if you needed any proof that it was your kid, it's uh, him picking out Victor Arvidsson of all people from the crowd. Yeah, the let's see, uh, 38 there, Arvidsson. Yeah, the Swedish guy. It shows a lot of promise, but lacks focus. Okay, <laughs> Yes, scout talk, TJ. Um, you know, other than the fact that McDavid is just somehow better than I thought he was, and I thought he'd be pushing for the, being the best player in the world, but I, I think at this point everyone sort of gets it, so I'm not going to pick that. I think that um, you know the Bruins have the Bruins have been interesting to me because they've been playing much better than I thought they'd be, and and Rask just being back back to being amazing helps a lot with that, and the blue line kind of cobbling it together in front of them has been nice, but I think that top line with uh with Marsha and Bergeron and Pasternak has has been my favorite thing to watch this year. Just if you just watching three people that play so well together and just everything seems to click perfectly. And obviously, you know, anyone playing with Bergeron, that'll probably be the case just because he's so good at everything. And Marshine himself is an amazing player and we know that those two guys have chemistry. But like Pasternak has just seamlessly fit into that line. And I think I saw he scored like a quarter of their goals or something this year and and he's riding a bit of a shooting percentage wave that probably won't continue, but he is uh he's damn good and, and I think that what, 20, 22, 23 teams will be kicking themselves for letting him fall to where, where he went in that draft of his. So uh, that, that top line has been kind of one of my pleasant surprises this season. I remember getting really pissed off at David Pasternak and more so with the Boston Bruins because his rights were held by the Belleville Bulls of the OHL. And uh, instead of sending him to the OHL, he made the NHL team, damn it, uh, off the draft and then was sort of you know shuttled up and down between uh, the NHL team and the American Hockey League team. I never got a chance to watch him up close uh, before he went off to the expense of NHL. But you're right, man. Pasternak's been outstanding this year. Um, the shooting percentage wave, sure. But he's still like... I know, I know it's, I don't want to say easy, but it's a lot easier to your point when you play with Patrice Bergeron, who's like the world's perfect hockey player. Yeah. Yeah, he <laughs> just know? spoon feeds you. <laughs> he's just, like the Dan oh, Murphy of hockey. He just, uh, he's out he's, there just I know, right? to get through his first time. It just puts the ball on the tee for you, sort of warms it up a little bit. Here you go. Here's how you hold your hands on the bat. Here's how you swing, keep the front shoulder down. Um, he's he's great. But yeah, Pasternak's been one of the uh, the bright spots in a, in a Boston Bruins squad. Although, you know what? I kind of thought that the Bees were just going to be, you know, that top line, and uh, really slow defense. It wasn't able to get to puck to the forwards, and they were going to be in the Nolan Patrick sweepstakes. Yep. Mm-hmm. I thought they're going to bottom, and they still might. But I thought they're going to bottom out really fast this year, and so yeah. far they haven't. Yeah, and it's 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 impossible to bottom out when your goalie's playing this well. So I think that even as you That's know, true. If, if everything comes back down to earth a little bit, even Here. if Rask plays this well, they'll be fine. Let me ask you this one: mm-hmm. Who would you award the Vesna Trophy to right now, Carey Price or Devin Dubnik? I think Price. I think. I think you can go with Price. Uh, uh, yeah. Have I you know, seen Dubnik's numbers lately? Dubnik's been amazing, but I'm a big believer in, in the, uh, you know, let's not be a, like a prisoner of the moment, just in the sense that I'd, two years from now, I think it'll be pretty freaking hilarious if, you know, you try to convince someone that Devin Dubnik was the, the best goalie in the NHL in 2016-2017. 20, 
That's where I'm does he play? It. Does he have, does does Price have more heart than Devin Dubnik? He Is does. that why? Because their numbers are pretty much identical. I can't believe we're having this conversation. You're yeah. playing the role of the the knuckle dragger, the old school guy. Yeah. Oh, that then you're mainstream media now, though. So I should I should assume that that. I mean, listen. Yeah. If if Dubnik finishes, I the thought year, you'd want the hip, the hipster pick, the Devin Dubnik if, hipster if Dubnik, pick. If Dubnik finishes the year with these numbers, uh, we can have this discussion. We, we obviously, I mean, go, the goalie position is so volatile in this regard, but I feel like Dubnik yeah. like, has shown these stretches where he's amazing. And obviously now we're getting closer to 25 games and it's starting to, you just kind of have to buy it. But it's, uh, I think he's a really good goalie. He's probably not this good. Whereas I think price can probably maintain this pace. So that's, that's the reason. But I guess if you're, if you're talking about right now through the first quarter of the season or what, or whatever, it's, uh, it's pretty close. And there's like a, a handful of guys that are putting just like ridiculous numbers up that you have to talk about as well. So, yeah, I think Rask in that talk too. All right. I decided to drag you into uncomfortable water. Yep. Cause I know cause everyone's team price. Listen, I'm team carry price as well, but man, every time I have a peek at what Devin Dubnik is doing, I'm like, yeah, uh, do I want to say it publicly? Mm-hmm. Do I want to really go public? with This isn't this? really public. No one's actually listening at this point still. So, if I knew that, I'd bust out a few more swears. Come on, jeez. <laughs> uh, Jeff, that was a lot of fun as always. It, you know, yeah. it would be it would be really fun if one day we can have this conversation on TV with some producers yelling in our ears. That would be great. Yeah, and counting down from 30, 29, yes. 28, 27, 20, 15, 10, hitting the post, talk over scenic, and one. Excellent. Uh, Jeff, uh, it's, been, <laughs> it's been a blast. Uh, yeah, thanks, dude. Yeah, and we'll, uh, we'll make oh. sure to get you back on hopefully soon. Yeah, you know when we next time we have this conversation on television, it'll take about two and a half minutes. So either uh, learn how to be economical yeah. and then teach me, or learn how to talk really fast. Let me tell you what, Devin Dubnik is the Vesna Trophy winner this year. He's been amazing. Just, we'll be right back. Yeah, <laughs> that's Mitra Filipovich, and we'll be right back. All right, man. Uh, chat soon, okay? Thanks, pal. The Hockey PDO Cast with Dmitry Filipovich. Follow on Twitter at Dim Filipovich and on SoundCloud at soundcloud.com slash hockey PDO cast. Mm-hmm.